This morning is good news for unanswered prayer. Good news for unanswered prayer. Have you ever prayed for something and you felt like there wasn't really a response from God? Has, have you had any prayers go unanswered in your life before? Maybe it's a deeply personal prayer. You want God to change something about you, and that change is either not coming or it's coming too slow. Or it's a prayer for a change in your situation, a different job, a spouse. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a change in, in uh, that you're going through a difficult situation. You're looking for justice to be done. Justice is not being done. Have you ever had unanswered prayer? What has that done to your heart? Have you ever been tempted to just not pray, to just stop praying altogether? I wonder if any of you can relate with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Look at verse 5 there with me. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Here we have a really solid couple, a couple that you would implicitly trust because they had followed Jesus, or they had followed the Lord. They didn't know Jesus yet, but they were mature in the Lord. They had walked with him for decades. They had been married for decades, and they had prayed for decades for a child, and they were barren. Now, in those days, if you didn't have a child and you were married, guess what people thought? People got real judgy, and they thought, it's because you sinned that you didn't have a child. If, if God blesses people he loves with children, and so if you don't have children, God probably doesn't love you because you're sinning. So not only did they have the pain of not having a child, they also had the pain of the reproach of the people, which would not feel good at all. We might judge the judges and go, wow, how... How judgmental of everybody, how short-sighted, but we have our own prejudices, don't we? So Zachariah and Elizabeth had no children, and it was super, super painful. Maybe you know the pain of infertility, the pain of wanting a child, praying for a child, hoping for a child, and the Lord never brings a child. You see other people having children. They didn't seem to have any problems at all having children, and yet you are praying, and you're experiencing the incredible sadness and the the, the, the roller coaster, sometimes you get your hopes up and then all of a sudden there's, the pregnancy test goes the other direction or there's a miscarriage. This is one of the most painful things any of us could ever experience. So maybe you can relate with Zachariah and Elizabeth, but it, maybe it's not infertility. Maybe it's some other pain. Maybe it's some other unanswered prayer. An unanswered, a prayer that has just, you've prayed for years. For an unanswered, it could be that you want someone in your life to follow the Lord and they're just not. They're as hard as you can imagine. Or, you know, it, it, could be, it could be a prayer. Have you been praying for our nation? And you feel like your prayers are going into some void for our nation? You're praying against nuclear war. You're praying for peace. You're praying for the rule of law. And you're seeing it. Do you pray for our city? Do you pray for our breakdown and racial segregation? And yet you just see it persist? Does that discourage you? Maybe some of you are just ready to be done praying. Maybe all of us are getting, we're just getting so discouraged at the fact that God does not seem to be listening to our prayers. You ever feel like, God's just not listening to my prayers? You could probably sit down and tell me what it's like to be Zachariah and Elizabeth. Through the prism of your own life, through the prism of your own pain, maybe you've got similar pain of unanswered prayer. Now, what happens year after year, 
decade after decade, when prayers don't get answered? What happens in your soul? Temptation is for our souls to get hard and to stop hoping. Because you know what? It hurts less to not hope, doesn't it? It hurts less to not hope anymore, to hope for God to move as he's promised to move, for God to restore hearts, cities, countries, and even your own personal life. God, why can't you change this about me? I've asked you to change this deeply personal thing I'm carrying, this burden I have. Won't you take it away? When God says, no, my grace is sufficient to you, we can get hard towards God and be like, you know what? Fine. And we stop praying. Friends, this is huge. I want to implore you as your pastor to make the journey with Zechariah and uh, into the temple, make the journey with Elizabeth and hearing this good news, because we need to hear some good news about unanswered prayer. It's right here. It's written down for our instruction. It's written down for our, um, for our spiritual benefit and flourishing. So let's listen together. Let's walk with Zechariah together in the temple. Now, um, Zechariah was a country priest, and he spent his life ministering the word of God. That was the main function of priests. And um, so he is now chosen by Lot to offer the incense offerings on behalf of all, the whole nation of Israel. There were so many priests at that time, actually, that you had to be chosen by Lot. And if you got chosen, it was seen as a, it was a blessing from the Lord. You, got to, you had the honor of walking to, into the national temple in Jerusalem and making the sacrifice, the evening incense sacrifice on behalf of all the people. So here you have this country priest um, who uh, has been praying for years, and, and he's got his one shot. It's like his TED Talk moment in his career where it's like important not to screw this up, and he totally bombs it. So let's watch and see what happens. He gets some good news along the way. Verse 8 of Luke 1. Now, while he was serving, Zechariah was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside the hour of incense. This is a scene bathed in prayer, soaked in prayer. Zachariah is going to pray. All of the people that are gathered are going to pray. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people from Israel all gathered around the temple in Jerusalem. And Zechariah is going to um, hold their prayers in his hands, uh, symbolized in incense. Outside of the temple, all the people would have been gathered. And Zechariah would have, would have walked inside from the outer courts and walked inside the holy place with the incense in his hands. Now, the holy place was a massive, beautiful room in the temple with a ceiling probably four times of the height of the ceiling you see here today. And he would have walked solemnly through this solemn room. And on the left would have been the lampstand. On the right would have been the table with the bread of presence. Zechariah would have approached the altar, and he would have burned incense to the Lord on the altar. Before him would have been the curtain, the curtain going from the floor all the way up to the ceiling, a thick and beautiful curtain symbolizing the cosmos, separating the holy place from the holy of holies where the Lord's presence was. And right before he is able to actually burn the incense, the archangel Gabriel appears before him in all his magnificence, in all his regality, and he has news to bring to Zechariah. Good news that you and I need to hear. Verse 11 describes the scene. 
And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. This is a very natural response. Before Zechariah is a supernatural being, whenever a supernatural angel, especially uh, an archangel like Gabriel, someone with the, with the authority of an archangel, someone straight from God's throne, throne room, someone who is in God's inner sanctum, is sent from, sent from that throne room to speak to Zechariah. It would have been natural for him to feel afraid. But that wasn't the point. God was not trying to scare Zechariah. He wanted to communicate good news to him. And what uh, Gabriel told Zechariah was, Zechariah, your unanswered prayers matter to God. And that's our first main point today. Your unanswered prayers, our unanswered prayers, my unanswered prayers, you know what? They matter to God. Why else would Gabriel show up to this place if they didn't matter to God? Now, let's, let's hear this in Gabriel's words. Um, verse 13, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Side note, John means God has been gracious. That's what this name meant, God has been gracious, okay? Verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. You know what? It turns out that all those years of praying, all those early mornings, all those late nights of burning the midnight oil of Elizabeth going, Zachariah, let's pray for another 20 minutes for a son, that God was listening to every single one of that, those prayers. Now, God is timeless, and we're in time, and so sometimes it seems like the, the prayers and the answered prayers don't match up very well. But, oh my goodness, God was listening to every single one of those prayers, listening intently, listening tenderly. And um, you know what the thing was? Zachariah and Elizabeth, once Elizabeth was, was past menopause, they likely changed their prayers, didn't they? They weren't stupid. They know how these things work. Okay, so God hasn't answered a prayer for a son. Let's start praying for the people of Israel. This was a righteous couple. They wanted the best. They wanted God's best for, their, for their, the people of Abijah and as well as all of the, the whole country of Israel. They wanted God to send his Messiah. They wanted God to send his deliverer that would purify the temple, that would restore Israel's righteousness to prepare the way of the Messiah. They were praying national prayers, we can rightly assume, that they cared enough to intercede for their country. So they're praying for a son. And then later, they're praying most likely for their country, for the salvation of the Lord to be fulfilled as it was for, um, prophesied by prophets like Malachi who said, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you'll go out skipping like calves from the stall. Joy will emerge in Israel when God sends his, um, uh, the one who will prepare the way, as well as the Messiah. And so you know what? God is answering those prayers with one miraculous birth. Isn't that beautiful? God's been answering the whole, or he's been listening the whole time, and when it's time, when it's time, he'll answer the prayer. When it's time, when, when the timing is right, he will answer prayers for personal and societal renewal. Revelation pictures the prayers of the saints as incense. That uh, It says that before the throne room of God are these bowls, these golden bowls of burning incense. The prayers of the saints are before the throne of God. God wants the prayers of the saints to burn continually in his presence. He wants to consider, contemplate, and respond to the prayers of the saints. 
One of the most beautiful truths about this is that the living God himself not only listens to these prayers, but he helps us pray. Charles Spurgeon talks about uh, Jesus Christ filling the, uh, filling the prayers of the saints with fragrance. That, you know, our prayers aren't fragrant without the grace of Jesus filling them. That if you just took our prayers as they are, without the mediation of Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection, they'd be like some noxious fumes coming from even our most earnest and pure prayers. They'd be filled with pride. They'd be filled with bitterness. They'd be filled with, with self-righteousness. They'd be filled with impatience. There'd be a lot of stinky fumes from our prayers if Jesus Christ didn't himself take his hand and, and, and weed out all of, those, um, all of those sins, take them into himself through his grace, and then add his own flowery um, uh, fragrances. Here's what Spurgeon says. Jesus Christ puts his fragrance into our supplications and imparts a delicious aroma to our prayers. He makes inter our intercessions to be, through his merit, what they could not have been without it, acceptable before the majesty of heaven. That's how much your unanswered prayers matter to God. Jesus is filling our prayers, your prayers, with his fragrant uh, with its fragrance through his death and resurrection. Not only that, the Holy Spirit is praying for you and with you based on what he knows that you don't know. Romans 8 says that the Holy Spirit knows the will of God, and he also knows our hearts, and he's praying in such a way that we would pray if we knew everything that he knew. Now, it's good that we don't know everything he knows. It would drive us crazy. But he knows things, and he prays with us. So we might be praying what's on our hearts. He knows things that we, sh we should be praying. We don't even know how to pray, and he's praying for us. Imagine that. Jesus is purifying and fragrantizing our prayers, and the Holy Spirit is making our prayers even more accurate. So the Father's listening, Jesus is mediating, and the Holy Spirit is interceding. Don't you see how much your unanswered prayers matter to God? Even the ones that seem like they'll never get answered? even the ones that seem like they're being prayed to a blank wall, there's a throne room with incense burning right now. And if you've been praying to the Almighty God in the name of Jesus, your prayers are burning before the Father even now. And that's how much your prayers matter. That's how much Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayers matter. So fear not, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. But you know what else? Our unanswered prayers matter not just to God, but to the world. All right, that's right. Our unanswered prayers matter to the world. It makes a difference in heaven and earth whether or not we pray. God decided to, pray, to answer Zachariah's prayers, not only to bless he and Elizabeth, that was important, to, to bless the whole nation of Israel. The whole nation of Israel would receive an incredible blessing as a result of Zechariah and Elizabeth's intercessory secret life. So uh, the second half of verse 14, can you find that? Second half of, of uh, Luke 1, 14 says that many will rejoice at his birth, John's birth. Now, why? Why would so many people rejoice? Would they rejoice because they're like, hey, Zechariah and Elizabeth, you got what you wanted and we're happy for you. Maybe that's true. I, th I think that there were people rejoicing with them. But there's another reason, and that is verse 15 and following. For 
He's giving you the reason why, why many will rejoice. They're rejoicing because he will be great before the Lord. This child will have special status before the Lord. And he's got an, an, a Nazarite vow, not drinking wine, but being filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now look at the series of turnings. John has this ministry that's really unique. Okay, verse 16, look at all the things he's going to turn. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Okay, this is a spiritual revival, a spiritual turning. People are going to repent of their sins. They've been ignoring God. Now they're going to respond in faith to God. Okay, that's the first turning. Look at the second turning. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. This is so, you know, have you ever seen families renewed where, where uh, maybe there's a marriage that's restored or maybe there's a restoration between parent and children? What happens in societies when fathers start loving their children again? Those children grow up with a security they wouldn't otherwise have. Same with mothers. It's so important for parents to overflow with patient love to their children. Fathers are tempted to be either overly harsh and overbearing or passive and distant. In our culture, there's a lot more passive and distant fathers. What happens when fathers are neither passive nor overbearing, but loving and strong together, gentle and, and strong for their children? It, might, it, makes such, it transforms society. So what a child they're going to have. He's gonna, there's a national revival, but there's also a whole series of families that are going to be renewed. Look at the third turning at the second half of verse 17. And the disobedient will be turned to the wisdom of the just. So there's a whole group of people that are disobedient to the word of God. They're ignoring the prophets. They're ignoring the Mosaic law. What impact does, when people disregard God's law, what happens? There's a breakdown in justice. There's uh, what we see all over the world, which is that people who are powerful abuse their power and take from the poor and take, take from the, the unprotected. There's a societal breakdown when people disobey the law of God. And the truth is that John the Baptist will have a ministry that will awaken people to the truth, beauty, and goodness of the word of God, and they will begin to obey it again. He'll have life-changing conversations with people right before they get baptized, where they'll confess their sins and they'll say, what do I do? Which is what people say during revivals. What do I do to get right with God? And he'll say, look, you need, to st- you need to repent and you need to restore to people what you've taken from them. You need to, don't use your, Roman guards would confess their sins to this man <laughs> and then get baptized. And in, from the inside out, there would be spiritual and national renewal on the, pe- on the part of the people of Israel, but then it would spread to the whole world. So this is no, this is no, there's no accident. This is a huge answer to prayer. This is a huge worldwide impact that Zachariah and Elizabeth will have simply by praying day in and day out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out for a child, for their country, for the Messiah to come. God was listening and it mattered to the world. It mattered on earth. Uh, So I had a, my dad, well, my dad had a rototiller to take care of his garden with. And you've heard of a rototiller, but when you're working a garden in the Midwest, 
you've got clay-like soil. And that clay-like soil can get really hard, and it can be resistant to, uh, to, to receiving any kind of seed. So the rototiller would have these claws deep down, and you would kind of like push the rototiller like you would push a lawnmower, except you would kind of tilt it so that the claws would go underneath the soil, and the claws would turn the soil, turn the soil, turn the soil, until the soil was nice and supple and ready to receive seed, ready to receive plants, ready to bear fruit. So John the Baptist here is going to have a rototiller ministry among the people of Israel. God's going to answer Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayers through this child. He'll have a special anointing from God. He's going to preach, baptize, listen to confessions, and call people to repentance. And it's going to turn, turn, turn the soil of families, the soil of hearts, the soil of society. And it's, he's going to make ready, there's going to be a people prepared to receive the word of the gospel through Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was a rototiller. Jesus Christ was the seed and the sower. What an amazing, creative, beautiful answer to prayer on behalf of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Their prayers made a huge difference in the national, spiritual climate of the people of Israel and the whole world, but they had no idea for decades where their prayers were going. We, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, need to learn how to pray big prayers for the world. It's so good to start on a personal level. In fact, if you don't start there, you probably won't keep praying. But God is calling all of us, friends, to enter into a life of prayer that involves increasingly big prayers, increasingly love your neighbor prayers. And those prayers will move us outward I mean, this prayer, the answer to this prayer definitely involved uh, Zachariah and definitely involved Elizabeth's participation. I had a friend reach out to me today, uh, this past week, and he said, Aaron, I was praying, and I was moved to reach out to you and see if I could come visit you and help you in Chicago. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is a trusted mentor. I love any minute I get with him, even 60 minutes on the phone. And here he's offering me a whole weekend of his time and attention And you know why? Because he was praying. God will do the same thing with you. Maybe you're going to be praying for someone this week, and the Holy Spirit will move and say, why don't you invite them to lessons and carols? Or why don't you reach out to them and invite them over to your dinner table? We need to be praying increasingly big prayers, increasingly more other-centered, more loving prayers on behalf of our neighbors, coworkers, family, city, nation, and world. And God, who listens and who is seeking the good of our neighbor, seeking the good of our world, will involve us in the prayers that we pray. Our unanswered prayers matter so much. We have no idea. We need to see it like Zachariah and Elizabeth see it. Matter to God and matter to the world. But you know what? I think that some here may be thinking to themselves, you know what, Aaron? That sounds like a beautiful lie. You're thinking to yourself, that's all kind of maybe true in a religious sense, but is there really a throne room? Is there really, do our prayers really make a difference? Are they really burning like incense before God? Is the Holy Spirit really helping me? Is Jesus really helping me? Will my prayers actually make a difference? And maybe it's because you've seen so much evil in the world. You've witnessed 
the breakdown of really good things, and you're like, God could have intervened. He didn't. Maybe it's better not to hope. Or, or maybe you've had personal pain that's just been so intense. You've been waiting for a spouse or a child for years, or maybe you're praying for your children, and they're, they're not following the Lord. They don't seem to be responding to any of your prayers. It's like a brick wall. So you're thinking, maybe it's a beautiful lie. Um, and my, my counter to that is consider that what you might be thinking, what might be operating in your mind and heart is not so much healthy skepticism as it is cynicism. And cynicism will kill your prayer life. It will shut down your ability to speak to or hear from God. And that will matter to God and the world. Here's what Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life, uh, does. He contrasts cynicism with prayer, a, a cynical life with a praying life. Here's what Paul Miller says. Cynicism begins with the wry assurance that everyone has an angle. Cynicism begins with the wry assurance that everyone has an angle. The cynic is always observing, critiquing, but never engaged, never loving, never hoping. To be cynical is to be distant. It leads to a creeping bitterness that can deaden and even destroy the spirit. The praying life is just the opposite, Paul says. The praying life engages evil. It doesn't take no for an answer. The psalmist was in God's face, hoping, dreaming, asking. Prayer is feisty. Cynicism is passive, cocooning itself from the passions of the great cosmic battle we're engaged in. Do you find yourself tempted to cocoon yourself in the comforts and the superiority of cynicism? I urge you to resist that temptation by the power of the Holy Spirit, lest your prayer life be shut down. Maybe Zechariah was cynical when he asked his question. He asked Gabriel a question, and it was, it was a presumptuous, unbelieving question. This is a man who, for years, taught and ministered the word of God, and he was righteous before the Lord. But he had a moment of unbelief, and it was a costly, costly move on his part. So here's his question, verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. How shall I know this? How shall I know this? Here's the word of God being delivered to him from the throne room, and he's saying, you know what? Can you just prove it for me? Which is what cynicism always asks. You know, go ahead and prove it. And so God, in his merciful justice, proved it by taking away Zechariah's ability to speak, and as we learn in Luke 1.62, taking away his ability to hear. And that's always the condition of people who turn from God to serve idols, to, to turn from the unseen God, to turn to worshiping and serving seen idols. We become deaf, and we become mute. We become unable to speak and hear, spiritually speaking. But for Zechariah in his TED Talk moment, this was bad. This was undoubtedly his most embarrassing moment ever in his life, or so we can guess. Uh, verse 19 the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, homeboy, 
I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring to you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, which is a tragedy, because that was his big moment. Uh, that was his moment to, to speak on behalf of God's people, to, to communicate the good news that he heard. He couldn't speak the good news because he didn't believe it. Although maybe he was believing it now because he had the sign now. Um, they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept, verse, this is the end of verse 22, he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when the time of his service was ended, he went to his home. And this is, you know, Zachariah has got some time, you know, he's going to exit stage left, and uh, two women will take center stage in the life of faith, in the theater of God's salvation. It's going to be Elizabeth and Mary, and, and Zachariah is going to follow them. His, his, mercifully, God will restore his ability to hear and his ability to speak, and he'll speak and sing good news, which is wonderful. But Zechariah's life is a warning for us against the comforts of cynicism, the hardening of cynicism. If we persist in cynicism and disbelief, we'll find ourselves like Zechariah, spiritually unable to communicate with God, unable to hear from him, unable to speak. There's hope for us. If you're in that spot, cry out to the Lord this morning and say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me restore my ability to hear from you and to speak to you. We gotta get back in the story of God. We can get so stuck in our own tunnel vision that we forget this massive and beautiful story that God, through the life of prayer in Jesus, is inviting us to be a part of. Don't you wanna be a part of God's beautiful, true, and good story? Story of restoration, story of renewal, renewing not only your life, but the lives of those around you. The Holy Spirit fulfills the role of John the Baptist here. The Holy Spirit is our rototiller this morning, going through the kiva, turning, turning, turning. What needs to be turned in your soul to begin to pray again? All of us need a constant measure of the rototilling, turning ministry of the Holy Spirit to prepare us to hear and respond in faithfulness to the gospel. Every single one of us. Maybe you're in a spot right now where you don't even believe Jesus is son of God or, or you're not yet a Christian. I invite you just this morning to say, hey, living God, I want you to show yourself to me. Call me out of my hardened, skeptical, cynical state, which has the ability to cocoon me forever from your love. Invite me on a journey. Take me on a journey of faith. Show me Christ. And he will. He'll do it. So next week at our Lessons in Carol service, we're going to be raising money for an organization called Refuge for Women. Refuge for Women. Yeah, that's right. You have the, the brochure. You don't have to take it out, but you have a brochure that tells you all about Refuge for Women. Refuge for Women is a Chicago-based uh, house, organization. They take in women who have come out of sexually violent situations, trafficking and abuse and um, uh, sexually exploitive situations. And not only do they take them in and feed them and house them 
um, give them safety and give them shelter, all of the things that a lot of us take for granted. They give them all those things, but they also invite them on a journey of healing and restoration um, where they actually are able to be, to graduate from Refuge for Women and go out into the world to love and serve the Lord in a, in a job that, that suits them and uh, with new levels of training, with new levels of support. And so uh, I was reading their blog this week, and, and Tracy Stella, who's their director, was talking about how um, she, uh, they put up a graduation wall, a wall of graduates for Refuge for Women, and that every time she would walk up the stairs, she'd walk up the stairs and look at the wall of graduates, except that every time she walked up the stairs every day, there was no graduates on the wall. There's, they don't have any graduates. And every day she would, she would engage the women and she would engage the people who were working with the women, um, inviting them to process through um, getting an education and getting the healing that they needed. And some women would drop out of the program. They've had women drop out of the program, leave the house, go back to the, the situations they were in before. Broke Tracy's heart day after day. Can you imagine being Tracy, overseeing that house, putting up a wall of graduates, except you don't have any graduates to speak of? Maybe Tracy, and she actually expressed the temptation to lose hope, to lose heart, to stop praying. I think all of us would face that temptation. Maybe you've been, you have your own particular wall of graduates. She kept praying. She kept hoping. She kept engaging. She kept looking for signs of God's activity among the women. And then finally, just recently, they had their first ever graduation party. And the, women, the woman that graduated, she said, not only did she graduate from our program, that, that God worked the circumstances so that actually this program saved her life. That literally, she didn't go into the details, the Refuge for Women program literally saved her life. All the three steps forward and two steps back, oh my goodness, it was worth it. And she describes the party that they had, um, the first graduation they had for this woman. She said there wasn't a dry eye in the house after moving testimonies, joyful video memories, send-off prayers, parting gifts, hugs, and of course, cake. She is now back with family and beginning the first job of her new beginning. Now, her family came in to be a part of, her mom and dad came in to be a part of this graduation. And her dad, when her dad prayed, Lord, thank you for bringing my daughter back, everyone cried again. Everyone cried those tears of joy. And her photo is now on the graduation wall. There's actually two photos now. We can pray for more. We can give generously for more. I'm so glad that in that year, Tracy didn't get cynical. I'm so glad that she didn't cocoon herself off from the living God and his ability to restore in that year. I'm glad whatever early mornings she had of prayer, whatever late nights she had burning the midnight oil of prayer, whenever she shared with her prayer group, I'm so frustrated we don't have any graduates on our graduate wall. I'm so glad that when she walked up the stairs every morning, that she prayed instead of despaired, instead of cursing God. The truth is that her unanswered prayers and yours matter to God, matter to the world, every last one of them. 
So pray, my friends. I implore you as your pastor to pray. Don't stop praying for the needs that you have. Don't stop praying that the needs that you see. Don't stop praying when you read the news and you get discouraged. Don't stop praying. Pray with all your heart. Pray with all your mind. Pray with all your soul. It's not a waste of time. That's a lie that it's a waste of time. Burn the incense, my friends. Burn the incense of your prayers. Do it this morning during the prayers of the people. Do it this afternoon when you go home. Burn the prayers of your incense tomorrow morning when you wake up. Make a list of things that you're praying for. Prayers for work, prayers for home, prayers for the city, prayers for the nation. Don't stop praying for our nation just because you're discouraged or afraid. Don't stop praying for racial reconciliation, even though you've seen some troubling things in the news. Don't stop praying for the person that you care about to follow Jesus and know the truth of the gospel. Don't stop praying for your spouse or your kids. Burn the incense. Burn the incense of your intercession to the glory of God. And do it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.